Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. Welcome back to the 301 Podcast, and I'm very happy to welcome you to the second season. The last four weeks, we've recorded awesome guests and inspiring speakers, and one of them for sure is the today's guest, Nina Rauch. Nina is a social impact coordinator for Lemonade, which is an insure tech company. Besides that, she founded a charity for breast cancer awareness when she was 16 years old, which is called Pink Week. And she founded a networking platform in Tel Aviv. In this conversation, we talked a lot about the beginnings of the Pink Week, um, how it all started and how it all developed, why cancer is still such a topic that no one likes to talk about, and how Nina tries to animate younger generations to close the donor gap. So all in all, I think it was a fantastic conversation with a very inspiring person. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and let's get it started in 3, 1. So today, um, a welcome to Nina and a very special guest in the 301 podcast. Nina is the founder of Pink Week 3030 Connect and a social impact coordinator for Lemonade. So as you can already hear, a lot to tackle today because <laughs> a lot of different job titles. Welcome to the 301 podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into all the topics, um, quick question. How are you holding up in the UK with the lockdown? <laughs> with the lockdown? Um, I'm holding up all right. I think that it's definitely a difficult time for a lot of people. So I know that I have a lot to be grateful for. But yeah, how are you holding up? Yeah, it's of course difficult, but um, yeah, also trying to make the most out of it. I mean, for me, it's uh, quite good. Uh, I can record my podcast. A lot mm -hmm. of people have a lot of time right now to, to yeah. also record it in the evenings. <laughs> also, we do the same. So uh, you have to make the most out of it. Definitely. Cool. Before we dive into the topics, uh, maybe quick chance for you uh, to introduce yourself briefly, um, who you are and what you do. Of course. So my name is Nina. Um, I'm 26 years old. I'm the social impact coordinator for Lemonade, which is an insure tech that has a mission of social impact and social good. It's really trying to revolutionize the way we give back, but also the insurance industry. Um, and I also founded a nonprofit called Pink Week to raise awareness of breast cancer amongst younger generations and um, people who might not have as much money to donate, but are definitely willing to get involved with activism. I founded it around when I was around 16 years old um, in memory of my late mother. And it's something that I've worked on since. And yeah, that's that's who I am. <laughs> super, super cool. And um, yeah, I want to pick up like, of course, the, the Pink Week first, um, because you, you mentioned already um, you're a nonprofit uh, Pink Week. And I'm very sure that you have uh, told this story many, many times. Uh, but maybe once more to tell the story, like how you came up with this idea and uh, how it developed. Definitely. Um, so actually it developed pretty naturally. I was at an all girls school and I was very conscious that although in my household we'd spoken openly about breast cancer, my mom um, got sick from breast cancer when I was quite young. I was aware that in the school that I went to, it wasn't an open conversation. In fact, it wasn't spoken about at all. And I started to think that if at the all-girls school that I went to, there was no conversation about breast cancer awareness, 
there was mm. definitely no chance of there being a conversation anywhere else. <laughs> so I thought that um, it was really important to try and spread awareness to people, my peers and people in my age group, because with breast cancer, of course, the more that you check, the more aware you are, um, the more lives can be saved. So I decided to do just a pink day, um, really just a day of awareness. People wore pink. I bought a ton of uh, breast cancer awareness badges from a charity called Breast Cancer Care. I sold them in school and we raised around a thousand pounds. And it was very much kind of small scale. It was one day. But I really got thinking that if we were able to raise a thousand pounds of micro donations from a school of ages, you know, 11 to 18, how much more could we raise if we kind of scaled this? So when I got to university, um, I met an incredible girl, my co-founder, her name is Kate Davis, who is kind of very much a visionary and can take big ideas, apply practicality and make them happen. And I found some other people who were very much in tune with the idea of spreading awareness of breast cancer, but also making charitable, fun, cool, trendy, um, something that was exciting to do and be part of. Um, And so we turned Pink Day, which I'd done in my secondary school, into Pink Week, a whole weekend of events raising awareness for breast cancer. We went and we made sure to alternate between paid and free events so that it was accessible for everybody. Um, And it really just spiraled. We did it, you know, at university. I went to Cambridge. We launched it in our first year. And already by the second year, it had spread to seven different universities. And we were starting to raise thousands and thousands of pounds just from students, just from small donations, no one-off large donations from anybody older. Um, It was really very much like our generation focused. And I think it kind of changed my understanding of where people needed to target their fundraising. And if I Mm. saw that even if we just went with awareness as our main goal, but fundraising was a byproduct, like how incredible that we were able to raise that amount just from students. Um, And that's really how Pink Week was formed. Super impressive. (laughs) Like you you talk about it as if it would be would be so easy. But maybe (laughs) you can like I mean, you are 16 years old and I'm pretty sure that everyone has worked already on like um, some sort of of idea. I mean, (laughs) uh, earlier or later in life, uh, business ideas or just a, a local event at the sports club or something right. but um, you wanted to to do like a, a pink day mm-hmm. and later develop to a charity can you like still remember what were like the first steps or what uh, went through your mind to say like oh this is what i have to do first definitely i think the most important thing that i realized straight away was that an event is only as successful as the amount of people that come to it so making it cool making it something that you want to attend not that you feel obliged to or obligated because it's charity so Mm. we needed to make sure that the event itself was enjoyable not that you know you go to something you feel bad because it's raising awareness you might donate but you don't actually want to be there we had the complete opposite, you know, it was an enjoyable event first and a fundraiser second. So for example, when we got to university, I think I arrived, um, I'm trying to remember the timings of it, but around 2015 or probably even earlier, 2014, it was when um, the health movement really started to kind of pick up in the UK. Bloggers Mm. like Deliciously Ella were getting quite famous and quite big. So we tapped into that trend and we ran a vegan supper club. So, and we, you know, priced the tickets. So people attended a vegan supper club, which has very little to do with breast cancer awareness, but they went because they wanted to be at the event. So I think it's really important to think of charity as something that doesn't need to just be 
um, emotionally, like uh, you're not emotionally invested in it. It doesn't need to be making you feel bad or guilt driven. It can be genuine and enjoyable and cool and trendy. Um, and that's going to make people want to go, you know, aside from the fact that you're also doing a good thing. So I think that's really important. And I think organizations are starting to become even more conscious of that because it's not enough for people to just go because they want to donate. They actually have to want to enjoy what they're going to as well. Mm, 100% agree. And and uh, what is usually happen happening during, um, uh, let's say, usual pink week? Yeah. So on the first day, we would do um, like a small night in a bar or um, in a club, but like very low scale. We priced the tickets around five pounds, super accessible, open to everyone. We would follow it the next day with an educational event that would be free. Um, we would have a researcher, a doctor, somebody who is very um, informed about breast cancer awareness speak. The day after, we would do a healthy day. So we would have free yoga classes a vegan supper club, um, healthy snacks being sold, different classes going on. Then the following day, another free day is an awareness day. You just wear pink, you buy badges or you wear your badge. Um, then the day after, I think we had, it was on the Thursday, we would have another big event. This was probably like the more expensive one. And that's where we did a lot of our fundraising. For example, we had an event where tickets were around 40 pounds. And I think we made 20,000 pounds that sold out within an hour. So we were making 20,000 pounds in an hour from students aged 18 to 23. I mean, these are kind of, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's because, yeah, it's incredible. And it's amounts that you wouldn't think students would be able to raise. But the fact is they weren't buying, of course, you know, I would love to think they were buying it only because of the breast cancer awareness, but I think they were buying it because it was an enjoyable event to be at. So it's this perf like this very fine balance that you need to strike. Um, and yeah, that was the week. That was how we how we kind of capped it off. Super nice. It's uh, also happening again first of February, right? Yeah, so it happens around February in Cambridge, but it, it alternates at different um, campuses, the dates. So there's no okay. fixed date. We wanted it to be something that was really easy to roll out. Um, you know, there's a, an inf information pack that you'd get ahead of the week, but it's the, it's yours to create, to put your own spin on it. And I think That's also the trick is that each university is different. And so what's going to appeal to those students is going to be different. So the, whoever runs the Pink Week at their campus really needs to be in tune with what kind of activities their peers and their students will enjoy. Yeah. And, and you said really in the beginning that like you um, went to all girls school and the topic, for example, of breast cancer was, was mm -hmm. not addressed at all. But I think in general, the, the topic cancer is not addressed uh, very widely. Like, why do you think... Oh. Um, it's still such a taboo topic to talk about. I think it's scary. I mean, talking about cancer is scary. It's, you know, something that you don't want to think about. Um, and I mean, I get that. Mm. Like, I'm, I get super nervous to check, to check myself and to talk about it. And I used to get really overwhelmed when I had emails coming in about breast cancer during Pink Week. And I think we have to kind of overcome that fear and have an open conversation about it because the more we talk about it, the less scary it does become. I mean, you know, people used to refer to cancer as the C word. It was like, you know, that terrifying to speak about because it's mm. so common. But I think, you know, the more um, relaxed we become about the conversation, the more normal and kind of just habitual it becomes to check yourself, the easier the conversation will become. Yeah, I agree. And, um, Yeah, I find it like 
really impressive to to look over like and how like uh, in in the very short amount of time it developed to something mm -hmm. very very big and uh, and like a big movement mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that you learned in that time that you didn't expect yeah definitely i didn't expect to raise any money that was never my intention my intention was only awareness i thought that the most important thing would be that we could raise awareness amongst younger women and not only women it affects men too um younger generations and you know it was very much a byproduct that we raised money so i think the biggest lesson i learned which i kind of carry through to what i do now at lemonade and the work that i did after university for different nonprofits is that charities need to stop focusing on older donors who have greater financial resources because this is leading to this growing generation gap in giving. Um, mm. It's actually really important to see that younger generations are capable of raising a lot of money from micro donations. I think it was around 30 years ago, people over 60 were giving around a third of UK charity donations. But now more than half of all UK donations are from people over 60. So there really is this gap that's continuing to grow. And from what I saw at university, that gap doesn't need to exist. I mean, you know, students are very capable of putting their money where their mouth is when they feel compelled. So it's just mm. about tapping into that. Yeah. Maybe like to go one step um, before, like we, we talk about the, the donor gap, which I find a super interesting uh, topic. Um, what do you, what do you think are the main drivers to like donate in the first place? That's a really good question because I you know I I think it, you know earlier in this podcast we've spoken about not making it guilt driven, but I think I think that's a big part of people wanting to donate is that they feel bad. So yeah. it's I think people donate because they want to do something, they want to help. Um, They want to feel good about themselves, which is completely fair enough. I do that. You know, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody asking for money, you're inclined to give because it sparks something in you. Um, and I also think, I mean, especially for me and, and um, it sounds self-serving, but I think it's okay to say this and it would be uh, disingenuous to not, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of fundraising or activism until my mother got sick because it hadn't impacted me personally. And so when mm. something starts to impact you personally, that's when you want to make a difference because you can see really um, the detrimental impact that something can have and you feel moved by it. So right. um, I think it's very fair enough to say that people will start donating um, when they see kind of a direct impact on their lives. I mean, otherwise I don't think I would have started Pink Week. I don't, I mean, I hope I, w I, I wouldn't have felt the need to arrive at a place where it was something that I wanted to raise awareness of. No. Yeah, and I think it's also a lot of times that I think the people, they are more inclined to say, like, this is all I can do. Exactly, <laughs> like, for sure. It, it, is, it is very fast, like, it's a very fast action to, yeah, maybe not even guilt, but to say, like, I, what can I do for the people in, like, I don't know, refugees or something like there's nothing yeah. I can do. I can, I can only, I can only donate money to, to someone. And then they yeah. feel kind of good about themselves. That's also For an sure. interesting fact, I think. But I also think Corona has kind of changed that dialogue around what we can do because everything's had to move online. People have gotten more into virtual volunteering, which means donating their knowledge, donating um, their ability to teach or educate. And I think that's really amazing because it's showing that it doesn't need to be donation based. It doesn't all need to be around money. Um, you're able to kind of make a difference in other ways. Yeah, for sure. And you said also like, I mean, you, you touched on it a, a little bit already, 
that there are a lot more older donors than than, mm -hmm. than younger donors. Uh, what do you think? Why there's like still such a, a big gap? Well, I think it makes sense. I think um, you know charities target older donors because they just have more money. <laughs> you know, like when you when mm. you just kind of zoom out and look at it, um, a student who is not in full time work is not as um, obvious as a target somebody who you know might have a full-time job um, who kind of has an established career they have more money to give so i think they're kind of disregarding um, younger generations but we forget that you know gen z i think is on track to be the largest generation of consumers by 2021 they have up to four billion in spending power in the us alone so there does need to be a shift in what nonprofit organizations see as their target audience, because if they are able to engage um, younger generations from an earlier age, they'll stay with them and they'll be dedicated to these organizations and they'll want to give more back when they you know, are more financially stable. Mm, yeah, especially I think because they're, I think th this is the one generation that is very aware of every injustice there is in this world um, uh, gendering black life matters me too mm -hmm. like i think they are very aware of um, what is going on in the society and they're also sure. not afraid to speak about it i think that's uh, also very positive but as you said like sometimes you have to put your mouth <laughs> like uh, like the action where your mouth is and then yeah it sometimes doesn't really work out right because right now they're yeah. just they're online very present and uh, in the end it's sometimes difficult, I think, for them mm. also to follow up just because yeah. there's none of the causes really speak their language. For sure. You know, I, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, a lot of people don't know where to place their money because they're not being targeted by these organizations and they're not engaging with them. They have nowhere to channel it. And like we are definitely kind of in this activist generation. I think I read the other day that it's like the most forceful surge of youth activism since the 1960s um so it's like about one in ten undergraduates taking part in process which is one of like the highest rates in like since i think around 1967 so the movement is definitely there the feeling is there it's just where can they channel it and i actually think this is kind of where for-profit organizations can come in because they are speaking to consumers in the right way, they know how to engage like this generation. They're able to bridge that gap. Like for example, what Lemonade does, they're really bridging the gap between, um, you know, fundraising and for-profit companies. Mm. And how, how did you tap into that market then? Well, because I think they're already marketing towards younger generations. I mean, I think the average age of a Lemonade donor is around 33, but because of the give back and because they are, coming kind of by default donate, donating to organizations via the give back um, you're creating fundraisers who are around like half the age of the average donor that we see in 2021 so because this these organizations because these for profits already know how to speak to these consumers when they talk about donating they're doing it in the right language and they're hitting the right tone so they're able to engage them um, from a give back perspective as well mm. And, and what is your role now as a social impact coordinator there? Right. So at Lemonade, um, I'm the social impact coordinator, which means I look after our Lemonade give back. The give back is how we support amazing nonprofits who are doing good in the world. So traditionally, insurance works by pooling small amounts of money, which are your premiums, from a large group of people to pay for the unlucky few who suffer covered, covered losses, which we call the claims. Mm. 
but it's impossible to predict how much money will be needed to cover these losses. Often people are asked to pay, you know, slightly more than what's needed in some years, and that will leave money left over at the end of the year. So whereas most, you know, insurance companies will keep that money as profit, we don't. Instead, once a year during our give back, we donate the leftover dollar to our nonprofit partners who are all chosen by our consumers. So we're really kind of making the connection between our nonprofits and the product. Mm. And how do you include that in like in the in your communication? Like are you using mm. then like are you targeting then really the, the younger generation on like the new channels like TikTok and like uh, Instagram or is that uh, still a traditional so we definitely do target via Instagram. Um, we have an incredible Instagram. <laughs> definitely check it out. We work with a whole different range of artists, up and coming artists, providing them a platform and we'll collaborate with our nonprofits. So kind of allowing them a new and unique way to outlet and um, to advertise what they're about or not advertise, I would say, but kind of promote their cause. We've done Instagram collaborations with March for Our Lives, which is a gun prevention organization based out of the US. Um, we've done one with Black Lives Matter, which is a nonprofit, a super famous nonprofit that we partnered with um, in the summer, you know, in the wake of the racial injustice that we were seeing throughout the US. So we are definitely mm. allowing these nonprofits to tap into a new way of speaking to consumers. Yeah, super. I think it's super interesting. And also for, uh, for all the listeners, I think definitely worth to check out the Lemonade because I haven't <laughs> heard it actually before, before I, I met you and then... Uh, I got really hooked on the, the content. I think it's really, really cool that what you're doing. Amazing. There. And also you're based in, in Amsterdam. Exactly. So everyone <laughs> can get lemonade there. <laughs> and we actually have some incredible um, Dutch nonprofits that we work with. Do you have any um, top of your mind? Um, I can actually, Kika is one of them. They're a children's cancer organization. We work with Mind um which is improving mental health we work with the clean clothes campaign to improve workers rights and also i'm going to pronounce this wrong <laughs> um it's called national under funds it's fighting against loneliness um helping okay. the elderly in the netherlands which is you know incredibly important right yeah, now especially in the in the time super exactly, important exactly especially during corona yeah I also think, um, I mean, we talked uh, about like why do people um, donate or why they are not donating. Um, mm. I think one of the reasons I think is also that they sometimes don't know um, what they, where, how they, how to donate and uh, where to donate and and what kind of charity to to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think um, is important when you want to choose a, a charity and like from what factors would you um, say from an outside perspective that it's like trustworthy charity? Yeah, from your personal definitely. experience of course I mean no that's such a good question and it's actually something that I do um, on a daily basis because we're very selective with the non-profits that we work with at Lemonade we want to make sure that we work with a you know a wide range of organizations that align with a mission of transparency and taking like taking stands but you know we need to make sure that we assess the quality of the non-profits based on transparency you know to the public financial fundraising administrative procedures and I always check non-profits via a charity navigator so i would definitely recommend people checking that out and um, there's a ton of websites out there that you know where you can look at the list of nonprofits, see how they're rated see if they are giving the money to the right places you can even see their overhead costs yeah charity navigator is a great website um 80, hours is another one where they list um 
great organizations, um, Center for Effective Philanthropy. There's a whole list of them and you can mm. look through them, find nonprofits that you you align with and also that you know are quality and, and sending money to the right place. How? Uh, why do you think that uh, some charities have such a bad reputation? Also like bigger um, charities where you would might think that they were they should not have such a bad reputation um that's a tough question i think on the one hand charities i actually worked for an organization that it was not involved um with the scandal at all but when i was working for this organization there were scandals hitting a lot of the big charities throughout the uk um, and I, it was kind of all over the news. And I remember the conversations that we had were definitely around the fact that charities are held to a higher moral ground than for-profit organizations. And with that comes responsibility. And so things that might be acceptable in a for-profit organization are not acceptable in a charity. And you wouldn't expect them to be acceptable. Um, mm. And I think that's fair. I think it's important that they are, you know, held to a higher standard because They are taking care of your money that you've put towards philanthropy. Um, and I think, to be honest, you know, as organizations grow, um, it is harder to keep track of things. But I do think that charities are definitely trying their best. And I think it's very difficult to adapt to an ever-changing world, um, a digitally, you know, focused world, tech-centric. These are organizations that have been around for hundreds of years. Um, I was speaking to an organization the other day that was about to celebrate its 100th anniversary. I mean, these are not um, organizations that have, you know, risen up in the startup world. So mm -hmm. they are, you know, trying to keep up. And I think um, that comes with struggles. Mm. I think a one big topic for me is always like the transparency, like yeah. uh, you give your money and then like what and <laughs> what happens with it. And I think 100%. That, I think there I think there's a, a world to win for the for the charities if they would be very uh, transparent and very open how the money is uh, spent uh, and maybe that you could even see it online live or whatever. I think that would mm. give uh, people a lot of times the reassurance ah, like ah, this is uh, how my money is spent. Because sometimes it's like as easy as that for people, right? That they just know that, um, I don't know, also if you have like the, the small Christmas presents where you have like mm -hmm. maybe um, a, a corporation with like uh, schools or something that you know that two two or three children have now school and food for the next uh, year. I think that makes people already like feel very good because they know exactly like which child yeah. um, has now school and food for the next year. I completely agree with that. Transparency is something that we really value at Lemonade and it's incredibly important to our give back. Whenever we do a give back, so it happens once a year, we make sure to you know, source all the information and data from all the organizations that it's very clear where the money is going. We then collate that information and put it on a landing page that you can find on our website. So we know exactly mm. what the money went to, how many people were supported via it. I completely, completely agree with you. I think that Charities need to be much more data driven, data focused, and that people actually feel a lot more, you know, they feel more comfortable when they see the stats and they can see the direct correlation of where their money is going. Charity Water is an organization that we work with at Lemonade. They are huge on transparency. Um, highly recommend checking out their website because you can really see exactly where their money goes. And even, mm. you know, working from Lemonade, I've been able to see They send us regular updates on our water projects, what stage they're at, you know, how how much um, 
how many people we've supported, um, how far along the projects are. So you really get that feeling of transparency that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, I think that's uh, very important. Um, I found it super interesting, like uh, while while going through a profile and also a little bit uh, through a way of life, that um, you founded Think Week, then you uh, graduated Cambridge, then you went to Tel Aviv to uh, study uh, uh, peace and conflict resolution. <laughs> And then you founded another company, which is called 3030 Connect. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so there was, there was not en enough on your plate. To, so you decided <laughs> to do another venture. Can you tell what this is about? Of course. 3030 is actually something that I really should do more with um, because I really believe in the idea. But basically, it's a organization that helps to facilitate network networking in a way that we don't usually see so traditional networking helps from you tapping into your literal network i.e the people that you know and the people that i know we bring them together and maybe we help each other out but what yeah. happens if the people that i know can't really help me to progress to the next stage in my life And also, I haven't really found myself in a community or surrounded by people who are looking to do the same things as me. It usually means that I just kind of um, fall onto the wayside and it puts me at a disadvantage, especially in today's world where I think a lot of, um, you know, I think a lot of um, success is kind of based around networking. You'll be told it's really important to network, you know, that you have to focus on networking. Um, that, you know, if you meet the right person, it can lead you to the next step. So what I wanted to do was bring together two social groups from different worlds. So I started with the idea of bringing together 30 refugees who were part of a refugee charity that I worked with and 30 CEOs and top business leaders. I matched them exactly, um, you know, based on their mutual interests. So for example, if somebody was studying dentistry um, or, you know, I was a refugee who expressed interest in being a dentist. I paired mm -hmm. him with the um, head of the British Dental Society in the UK. Um, so cool. we, yeah, it was it was really, really cool. And it was amazing to see the conversations happened. And we basically did these networking breakfasts where we brought these people together um, and we let them do the rest. If you click naturally, that's great. If you didn't, maybe you'll exchange an email, but just kind of facilitate those conversations because otherwise these people would have never met. And I think mm. it's really important to break down those barriers. Um, I think especially, you know, in today's world where is, you know, a lot of um, networking can be quite performative. Let's make it much more genuine. Let's form real connections between people that deserve to meet based on talent, but probably haven't met based on circumstance. So that mm. was kind of the idea behind that. Yeah. And especially with refugees, which are basically also um, basically in a forced isolation uh, often in like a refugee housing which is far away from from mm -hmm. everything else uh, which makes for them like a lot more difficult of course to meet people and to really uh, include themselves in the society even though that a lot of them uh, would would love to uh, get involved but they they just don't have the chance exactly i mean it's just really not inclusive at all i think it's kind of inherently flawed <laughs> the fact mm. that I can meet someone because of the circle that I belong to and maybe you know I'll get not necessarily a job but I might meet the right person who knows somebody else and that will connect me to the the next step in my life whereas somebody who just doesn't have that opportunity will just not be offered the same the things that I have access to 
I think apparently, according to LinkedIn, around 80% of people find jobs um, through people they know. So you can see just from the weight of that stat, how important it is to change the way that we network. Mm, that's true. And is that how many um, events did you organize now with uh, 3030? We've done three events. We did one in London and two in Tel Aviv. And any 2021 blends? But it's difficult right now, right? Because it cannot be <laughs> right now it's it, Right now it is difficult, but perhaps actually the idea of it being virtual will make it much more accessible. Um, mm. It's definitely something to think about. I hadn't thought about it until you suggested it. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do some planning. <laughs> some planning, some new, some yeah. new task for you, some new to do. Um, and speaking of to-dos, um, I mean, I just uh, also in the, intro, in, the, in the introduction, but also when we talked about how many different projects you have uh, <laughs> running on the site, would you describe yourself as an ambitious person? Um, ambitious. Yeah, I think I would. I don't love the word ambitious, but actually there's no reason why I shouldn't love it. I think it's really important to go for things that you want and things that you enjoy. I mean, the irony is that I'm pretty ambitious about um, social impact, which is not something that people usually set out to to go for. But um, it's just I really believe that the way that we give back can be changed. I think that we're on the right path. I think consumers are very smart into the idea of ethical choices. And I genuinely feel very passionate about it. So, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm pretty ambitious. <laughs> and and. You said like you're super involved into social impact or interested into social mm -hmm. impact. Is that is that in your nature? Like was that always like this or did that just come over time? Because yeah, if you look at mm -hmm. all the projects, it's um, incredible because you always uh, seem to want to help other people. And then you like, uh, even if you st start to study somewhere, uh, <laughs> then you are uh, like involved with the Calais refugee group mm -hmm. and then you like yeah. volunteer again. So you always try also to seek like those um, opportunities. Like I said, in your nature or is that, yeah, I, I probably must be in your nature, but like when did that start for you that you really wanted to help other people? Um, I think it started from a very young age. I always really hated seeing bad things happening to people, even if it was in a TV show or if I saw someone um, shouting at their kid in the street, it would upset me more than it should upset me. I was deeply kind of impacted by that. Um, and then I think, you know, um, with what happened with my mom and kind of things that I experienced um, as I got older, I just felt that if I was able to make the world a better place, then I should. It just kind of felt simple to me. And that's mm. why I just feel so privileged now to be in a position and working for a company that prioritizes social good and has done from the very beginning. Um, it really makes me feel that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not selling out. I never have to sell out. It is possible to work for very good companies, um, not good in the success. I mean, also successful, but good in the sense that they're ethically um, minded and ethically driven and I think that's really where we should be headed and do you think there is like a real change happening uh, also like in company cultures not only maybe for for lemonade but that more and more mm. companies also seek to have uh, more like I don't know invest into sustainable development goals or, or those kind of yeah, things okay. or do you think we are still very in the much in the beginning um, I think we are in the beginning, but I think it's becoming very commonplace. I think most companies know um, or want to prioritize the idea of social impact. I think they don't see, you know, Gen Z consumers and Gen Z donors as separate entities. They know 
how aligned these audiences are. They know that activism is really important to the consumer nowadays. Um, and I think we are definitely, I mean, especially with the invention of the benefit corporation of B Corp, which kind of has it in their legal mission that you do good. And um, we're definitely moving into a new, a new way of doing business a new capitalism, if you are. Mm. Yeah, I also agree. D does it uh, put you under pressure if you uh, get like all those, um, let's say, publicity around around yourself like uh, you got uh, named uh, f uh, future 100 from Barclays then there are a lot of publications in the Guardian like does it add pressure to you or how do you handle this um I don't think it adds pressure I think it's yeah I I, I handle it <laughs> I like it um I, I mean I don't like the publicity but I think if it is able to bring publicity to the cause then, you know, I welcome it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it makes you very conscious of what you're saying when you're saying it and kind of being being aware to say the right thing. But mm. thankfully, I'm talking about about pretty positive topics, so I don't need to be too careful. <laughs> exactly. Is there something that you still try to prove to yourself? Something that I still try to prove to myself. Yeah, I think everybody struggles with insecurities. And I think especially this year, it brought up a lot of insecurities for me. Um, corona, working from home, you know, there's a paranoia around remote work. I saw a couple of stats about that the other day and just kind of this constant news cycle that we're fed um, around the pandemic. I think a lot of people are feeling out of sorts. So definitely mm. a time to practice like being kind to yourself, um, which I've been trying to do a lot more of. But yeah, definitely a lot of insecurities around that. Hmm. And what do you do to maintain your energy then? Um, I really like working out. Exercising makes me feel a lot better, feel good. Um, yoga when I can, although not very often. Seeing friends, you know, I really kind of thrive off um, being around my friends and their energy. I think they're incredible people. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I think it's just really important to reach out to those that you love and those that love you and, and maintain those connections. If um, if we would introduce uh, yourself today to your younger self, is there anything mm. that your younger self would not believe about you now? Hmm. I think when I was very young, I um, was super shy and I was very quiet I didn't really speak much. In fact, when I used to speak in class, everybody used to clap because it was so rare. So I think um, she'd be pretty impressed that I'm pretty talkative and outgoing. And yeah, mm. but I think uh, I think I'm quite similar to how I was when I was younger. I maybe just express it differently. Okay, it's uh, pretty hard to believe that, that you didn't yeah. like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that everyone has a calling in life? Um, I think that most people do. Yeah, I think everybody does have a calling in life. I think you might not necessarily find it, but I think that as long as you're doing what you enjoy, that is essentially what your calling should be. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I find it, I ask you a question because I find it so interesting, uh, especially for you, because it seems like every, like almost every step of the way that you did, like you... Uh, tapped into the to or went into the right direction so so that's why mm -hmm. I, i sometimes like to ask that that question because for you it really seems like that from a very early age it went to like uh, one direction in the end right well i mean this is uh 
I don't know how true this is for everyone, but for me, I do think like, you know, you're sent in a direction by those who raised you. And my mom had an incredibly powerful energy. And I think mm. that she was definitely guided me to where I am. Um, so yeah, I think you, you'll definitely arrive at places based on those around you. Mm. Super beautiful message also. Hey, I really found it super interesting to to talk with you about the different topics, uh, about your work with uh, Pink Week, um, but also uh, Lemonade and what you do with 3030. I think it's so, so incredible what you uh, achieved so far. Um, and before I end the podcast, I have always uh, three final questions. Um, cool. And I would also like to ask them to you. Um, so the first question is, what are you not very good at right now and you want to become better at? Oh, so many things. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long list. <laughs> um, reading. I feel like I haven't read a good book or made time to read a good book in a long time. So definitely would like to get better at that. <laughs> Now's the time. <laughs> I think you'll never have more time than now. For sure. <laughs> Um, which title would you give this chapter of your life? These are such good questions. What title would I give this chapter of my life? Um, well, I think I'm trying to parent myself as much as I can, um, in order like to kind of look after myself and really care for myself. Um, because I think that when you look after yourself, you are able to do better and to give more energy to people. So mm. I think, I don't know, um, what, what would I title it? Maybe um, not really a time for growth in a, in a kind of emotional sense, but a growth in like my career and where I'm going, but trying to balance that with also looking after myself. Yeah. Okay. And the last question, I'm very curious about this one. Uh, if you could send an SMS to every mobile phone in this world, uh, what would you say? Check yourself. <laughs> Check your breasts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would say that. Check yourself for, for breast cancer as much as you can. Yeah, um, that's yeah. important. <laughs> then definitely that would have a big impact sponsored exactly. by pink week of course if i could send it to everyone in the world 100 percent, and get yes. lemonade <laughs> and lemonade get lemonade and and, uh, and donate to pink week get lemonade and check your rest exactly <laughs> super nice nina thank you so much for uh, taking the time in uh, thursday evening uh, i really 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 appreciate mm. it and it's not for granted And um, yeah, I think for all the listeners, um, very interesting. And go out, go and check out the, the charities, Charity Navigator. Um, I will also will put all the links in the description so everyone can check it out. And again, thank you so much, Nina, for being here. And, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. We hear each other soon. Thank you so much for listening to the 301 Podcast again. And normally I think this would be the place where I try to summarize the episode and try to summarize what was special about it. But I think today we only need to get one message across and one message only. And this is also the SMS of the day that Nina said just a couple of minutes before. Check yourself for breast cancer as much as you can. And I think if we get this message across today, then we have already reached a lot. So with this, I would like to end today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hear each other next week. Yours truly, Marcus.